if we haven't met yet, I'm, I'm Zach, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm just super stoked to uh, be going through the Word of God with you. Um, you have to forgive me if I cough a little bit. I'm a little under the weather, um, but I think we're going to power through. Um, we're going to be in Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5 this evening. Continuing in our series, uh, Set Apart for the Gospel, um, we're going through the entire book of Romans. Raise your hand if you don't have a Bible. Raise your hand nice and high. Uh, Nolan and Micah will come and get them for you. And if you don't have a Bible, that's yours. Just keep that Bible. It is all yours. But then we all have Bibles, right? Like we all have smartphones now. So it's like, it's just there. They're fake Bibles is what Pastor Mark and I like to call them fake Bibles, which doesn't make sense because it's totally a real Bible, but there's something awesome about like having it, right? All right, Romans chapter five, Romans chapter five, verse one, Romans chapter five, verse one. We okay? We okay? Yeah. Keaton's going crazy or he's so excited. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into his grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that the tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. This is God's word. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we, uh, we ask for your presence here tonight. We ask that you would be real and that you would manifest yourself in our hearts. Uh, God, work through me in my weakness, for I'm, I'm feeling ill. Lord, help me tonight. And I just pray that you would help uh, the hearing of the word. Lord, that it would sink deeply, that it would actually affect us what is said tonight. And so, Lord, we, we desire you tonight. We desire for you to be known tonight. And so help us, Lord Jesus, come. And it's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, before I go into this passage with you guys, I, 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 I really want to, I want to ask of you something. I, 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 want, I want to request as a pastor to all of you, I want to ask because here's the thing. I'm going to go short tonight. Not because I'm sick, but because tonight's a simple passage. It's a simple, simple passage. But I don't want you to leave tonight not affected by these words. 
I don't, I don't want you to leave tonight not affected by what God says here tonight. I, I, I preached uh, last week on a Wednesday night service, and, and I preached on, uh, on Romans chapter 2, um, you know, with, with the congregation on Wednesday night. And uh, the following Sunday, the following Sunday, uh, I, I, had a, I had a man in the congregation come up to me and he said, oh, Zach, you know, he said in a kind of a passive aggressive way, Zach, a good sermon, good sermon on, on Wednesday night. Uh, didn't quite get any application out of it though, <laughs> right? Just a very, very backhanded, passive aggressive comment, kind of his way of saying it was a bad sermon, right? Um, here's what I want from you. And, he, and here's what I told him. I said, do you know what? There doesn't always have to be an application. We're going to be learning about Jesus tonight. We're going to grow in a deeper knowledge of him. And I I, I just want these simple truths to be made known to us tonight. I want these simple truths to really touch our hearts on how God treats us. Yeah. And so it says right here, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into his grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. These two verses describe perfectly the position that we are in as Christians. They describe the position we are in. So listen, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith <clears throat> into this grace in which we stand. It says that therefore, having been justified by faith, having been justified by faith. So have you guys heard this cute little saying uh, that justified means just as if you had never sinned? How many of you guys have heard that before? Some of you might have heard this before, that just, to be justified means just as if you have never sinned. Now that's a really, it's, it, it's, it's a really um, good way of describing it, but it doesn't quite capture what justified actually means. It doesn't actually, who said that? Was that Pastor? <laughs> um, just as if you had never sinned, <clears throat> doesn't really ju- it doesn't really capture what it actually means. In the original language, justified means not only that your slate has been wiped clean, but you now have a righteousness that is put on you. It means that you're not only innocent, but you are actually favored now. That God doesn't just say, listen, I'm going to forget your sins just this once, right? He doesn't just say, hey, hey, listen, we're cool, but don't do that again, right? He doesn't, he doesn't just say, you haven't sinned, right? He doesn't just say, okay, your sins are kind of invisible to me now. God now says, you are not only sinless in my eyes, but you are righteous. <clears throat> you are not only innocent, but you are favored. It says, we have peace through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into the grace in which we stand. <clears throat> Forgive me, guys. My cough is getting bad. We have peace with God, harmony. He's not our enemy. He's not our enemy, guys. Isn't that amazing? That Christ is not our enemy. Do you understand that? That you have nothing to prove to God. (coughs) Absolutely nothing to prove to him. Nothing to prove to him. He sees you as righteous. He not only loves you, but he likes you, right? We've talked about this before. 
You know how you could love somebody but not really like them, right? <laughs> you can love somebody dearly but not really like them, right? Like you love your roommate, right? <laughs> but you don't really like your roommate, yeah? You love your sister, but you don't really like your sister, yeah? <laughs> As it declares right here, guys, that we stand in his grace. We stand in his grace, Grace is the continual state in which we are standing in. Grace is the continual state in which we are standing in. We can't step out of it because we never stepped into it. We can't escape grace because it was grace that found us. We can't lose it because it was given to us. Grace is held by Jesus. And here's the dilemma that I find myself in as I believe many Christians do. I start in grace. I start as saved by grace. But then I think that I'm made better by following the law, right? I'll start by, okay, Jesus has saved me. Jesus has forgiven me. But now I need to prove myself, right? Now I need to somehow be a better person, right? I need to prove myself. The Galatian church found themselves in the same pattern uh, that I find myself in a lot where it says in Galatians chapter three, verse one, it says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? So let me, let me show you how this is kind of translated into the New American Zach version, right? So, so this, is, this is how I translate this passage, right? It says this. I, I translated this, like my version of the Bible. Like I'll sell it to you guys out in the library after this. I'm sure all of you guys will want to read that, right? The New American Zach version says this in interpreting Galatians chapter 3. Zach, you are so, so stupid, <laughs> How very stupid you are, Zach. What kind of bologna sandwich theology have you been eating for lunch, right? Were you crucified for mankind's sins or was Jesus crucified? Did you die for your own sins or was it God who hung on a cross for you? Therefore, you must rely on his sacrifice and not your own. For Christ's sacrifice was made, was made what made you holy, not your own sacrifice. <coughs> I think we... I think we get into these rhythms, guys, where we think that our sacrifice somehow makes us more holy. You know what I mean? The more we go to church, the more we sacrifice ourselves for good works, I think somehow we think that that makes us more holy people, right? But in reality, if it was Christ's sacrifice that made us more holy, that makes us holy, then our sacrifice won't make us any more holy. Does that make sense? It is Christ's sacrifice and his sacrifice alone that makes us holy. This is the kind of word that I needed this week, guys. Because, you know, as you can see, I'm clearly struggling. I'm a little sick, okay? And, and that's a result of me running myself into the ground this week. I have ran myself into the ground. I'm just, I'm going I'm to be honest with you guys. I ran myself into the ground, and, and my life lately has been a whirlwind of trying to stay perfect for people. And I know you guys, I, I know you guys struggle with this in some way, shape, or form as well trying to be perfect for my job, perfect in my second job, right? Perfect at school, right? 
Perfect for families, perfect in relationships, right? We, we, we want to be good. We want to be perfect. We want to be perfect in our relationships. <clears throat> we want to be perfect in everything. But here's what standing in grace gives us freedom from. And I want you to pay attention to this. I won't talk much longer. I really, really do want us to pay attention to this. Standing in the grace, as it says right here, that we, we are standing in grace. It does five things for us. And if you're taking notes, you guys can write these down. That standing in grace does five things for us. It sets us free in five ways. One, it sets us free from the score sheet. Standing in grace sets us free from a score sheet. Right? Because we like to keep score, don't we? Pastor Mark said it before, that we like to measure things, right? We like to see how we measure up. We like to keep score. We like to have an account. But that account is settled in Jesus. That account is completely settled in Jesus. We are free from any score sheet. We stand in grace. We stand in grace. I'm also free from making any resolutions or vows. Guys, you know you don't have to say anymore, I vow that I'll do this. You know you're free from making New Year's resolutions, right? You know you're free from that? Do you know why you're free from that? Because it trusts in the flesh and not in the grace that Jesus has given you. You no longer have to make up these arbitrary rules for yourself. Standing in grace means you don't have to set these abnormal standards that you must meet. It also means that men don't set the standard for you. You stand in grace. You don't have to meet up anything. The third thing it does for you, it sets you free from trying to prove your worthiness to people or to God. Isn't that so much of our lives, guys? Isn't so much of our lives trying to prove that we're worthy? Isn't that why we go to college, right? To try to prove to our future employers that we're worthy of a job? Isn't it, it, I mean, come on. You're not the only one that goes back home, right? Sees your friends from high school, right? And then compares, right? The actions that you have taken since high school, right? Measuring yourselves up. Trying to prove that you're worthy of something. Some of you are, are trying desperately to try and prove to your parents that you're worthy of their affection. Standing in grace means that we don't have to prove our worthiness to people or to God. Because God has, has justified you. And remember, justified doesn't just mean that it's like, okay, I guess I don't see your sin anymore. It means, no, no, you're righteous. You're righteous now. Justified means that there's a favor that's been put on you by God. You're chosen. You're special, right? And I know we're all special, right? But God really does see you as special. The fourth thing, it sets you free from burdens regarding yourself. It sets you free from being so burdened by your self-image. The grace of the gospel of God, of Jesus, should set you free 
from having to be burdened by your own self-image, by, by, by promoting yourself, by, by getting yourself ahead of others. The grace that you stand in should, should keep you guys, should keep you from having to have this burden of, I need to be better than people. Rather, it sets you free to be burdened for other people. And then five, guys, what's really cool, standing in grace, standing in grace, it sets us free to spend more time praising God and less time hating ourselves. Standing in grace leaves you more time to praise God instead of hating yourself. Here's what I think Christianity can become for some people, okay? Here's what I think Christianity can become. It could become a series of seeing what you did wrong and just always hating yourself for it, right? Always, always seeing what you've done wrong and always just in this continual state of, I'm I'm such a sinner, I'm so bad, right? I'll never measure up. Standing in grace, what it does is that it sets you free from always having to hate yourself. Because God sees you as righteous. Stop hating yourself and start praising him. I hate how what worship has become. I hate, I hate how worship has become this time where we sit down and just contemplate how sucky our lives are, Right? Instead of praising God that he has imparted grace onto us, right? Sometimes our time of prayer is filled with so much, oh, my life stinks, it's so bad, right? You know, we just slip deep, deep into this woe is me attitude. Standing in grace means that your sins don't define you anymore. We can spend less time hating ourselves and more time praising God. And lastly, standing in grace gives us the ability to take trials gracefully. It says right here in verse 3. Look at verse 3. Don't stray away from it. And not only that, but we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Isn't that cheesy? That's pretty cheesy, huh? That's a pretty cheesy verse, right? What doesn't kill you only makes you stronger, you know? <laughs> I always hate it. Like, I always hate for I don't hate. Hate's a strong word, but I, I always struggle with verses like these because it's like, that sounds so like, like Kanye West had a song like that. You know what I mean? Like, if Kanye West can say something as deep in the butt, you know, it's like, I, I'm just like, ah, right? It's, doesn't it seem cheesy and unrealistic, right? Or, or not even unrealistic, but it's like, yeah, everybody knows that, you know? What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Like, oh, you know, these trials, they're just making you stronger for later on. It's cheesy, isn't it? It's kind of cliche, right? Not only that, that tribulations, only that tribulations produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character produces hope. Character produces hope. I used this really silly illustration a long time ago um, when I was teaching some junior hires. And what was interesting, I think I used this illustration five years ago. And Sam Shewitt, who's back there actually doing slides, you don't have to look back. It's okay. Just trust he's there. 
Um, he actually he actually mentioned it like in one of our Bible studies. He actually mentioned it in one of our Bible studies. So I, I'll give you this illustration. It's stupid. It's for junior hires. But. Um, I use this illustration of that there's there's this big island, and on the island there is these gigantic palm trees, one on the east side of the island and one on the west side of the island. And on the east side of the island, the palm tree was surrounded by lush gardens and, and great fruit. And all of the people loved to um, huddle under this palm tree. Kids would climb on it and, and have fun on it. Um, and they would be able to enjoy this palm tree and the shade that it provided. And then the palm tree on the west side, the other palm tree, um, it was a little more jaded, right? It was a little more ugly. Because on the west side of the island was when all the storms would hit. All the storms would always be, be smacking across and, and, and tossing this palm tree to and from so towards the point where a lot of its leaves would fall off. No fruit would really grow around it. There was no grass. There was a lot of palm fronds around it and, and sharp rocks that would come up from the shore. And the palm tree from the west was always so jealous of the palm tree on the east because the palm tree got all the attention. It was so beautiful and it looked amazing. But then one day this huge hurricane hit. The hurricane, it, it, it blew and it, and it went from the west side all the way to the east side and it, and it stirred up the entire island. The entire island. Where nobody, nobody can, can grab onto anything and nobody can grab onto the palm tree that they had found comfort in on the east side because it had been uprooted. And so everybody went to the west side of the island and they grabbed hold of the palm tree on the west side because its roots were deep. Because it had endured so many storms previously. People were able to hold on to it. People were able to clasp onto it so that they could have sturdiness because the palm tree on the west had endured so many storms that its roots had grown so deep that it can endure the big storms, that it could help the people around it. And that's kind of what Paul is saying here, guys. Where, where, where trials and tribulations, they, they produce something in the Christian that is, that is favorable for society. It's favorable for society. God is not as much concerned with the comfortability of his people as much as he is with the character of his people. Does that make sense? I think, I think sometimes we, we want to huddle under this comfortable God, right? We want to we huddle, huddle under God because he's comfortable. We want him to just tell us how, how pretty we are, right? And then take away all our problems, but if we are supposed to be ambassadors for a dying and broken world, wouldn't it be in God's greater interest to put us through trials? If we are to be the palm tree that people latch onto in great storms, wouldn't it be in God's interest to put his people through trials? Wouldn't it make sense if we are supposed to be the city set upon the hill, a hope to people around us? Wouldn't it make sense for the Christians to have to endure the most? Paul, it is worth mentioning that Paul isn't 
he isn't talking about silly or simple trials, right? Because Paul, he's not just blowing fluff your way. He, more than anyone else, knew what it meant to experience trials, right? Paul experienced incredible, incredible, incredible trials. In Hebrews chapter 12, guys, if you want to turn there, you can. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says this. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The Christian life, and and I, I was sitting with my dad um, uh, a couple nights ago, and and I was describing him the week I had been having, right? And I was just, I, I, I was describing to him just you know the trials that I've been going through, you know, and, and he gave me some wisdom. And, and one thing that he said is, you know, uh, there's endurance that's needed for the ministry. There's endurance that's needed, and that makes sense, guys. That the Christian life is not a sprint; it's a marathon right? It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. We need to have endurance. The most effective servants of the Lord are those whose roots are pressed in deep to the Lord, whose roots needed to press in deeper because trials have hit them, because storms have hit them. The world, guys, listen, and this is where I really want us to pay attention. The world is not going to quit. The enemy is not going to let up. So every minute on this earth until we meet our Lord is a battle for the souls of men. So yeah, God's going to train us, isn't he? The enemy's not taking a break. The world's not going to just be like, do you know what? We're going to let Christians take over, you know? I I feel like that's the delusion that some of us find ourselves in, that the world all of a sudden is going to be like, do you know what? This Christianity thing makes sense. Let's just make it a thing everywhere, right? (laughs) This whole Christian thing, do you know what? It's working out. Uh, Let's make every nation a Christian nation now, right? The world's not going to do that. It never has. The world's not going to let up. The enemy's not going to let up. So why should we? The world's going to keep pressing in. It's going to keep trying to engulf the souls of men and women around you. So it makes sense for us as Christians to be able to endure trials, to get stronger and to persevere so that we might be the hope on earth. Therefore, we should say soberly and reverently when we talk about trials and tribulation, (coughs) we should say soberly, Lord, Bring it on. I know you love me and you carefully measure every trial with loving purpose to accomplish your will. Lord, I'm not going to seek out trials, but God, if you have them for me, bring it on. That should be our mentality. I think we want to escape trials so much. I think we want to escape hardship. But think maybe for a second, That hardship is a tool used by our God so that we might be the sturdy and steady palm tree. That our lives might not look as pretty, 
It might not be as fluffy, but we are sturdy in a world that is dying and doesn't know how to endure. It says right here in verse five, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For the Christian guys, trials and tribulations don't make us cynical or mean, or they shouldn't, right? Trials shouldn't make us bitter. And you know what? That happens to me a lot. Or the hard times I'm going through, I just get bitter, right? Like I don't deserve this. I get bitter. For the Christian, it shouldn't make us cynical or mean. They should make us more hopeful. Hopeful that there's a purpose behind them, guys. There's a purpose behind your suffering. There's a purpose behind that divorce. There's a purpose behind that broken relationship. I'm not saying God ordained it, right? We, we should never be of those who say, oh yeah, God made that person in your life die, right? We should never be those people. There are those people, right? They obviously don't know the character of our Lord. God doesn't just say, do you know what? Ah, I want to I wanna make this person stronger. I'm going to kill everyone around, right? However, however, God does in his discipline and in his love say, I'm going to allow you to experience hardship right now. I'm going to allow you to, but I want you to know something. It's for your own good. Listen, I know it's really, really hard right now. I'm going to hold you through it and you have to get through it. Do you know why? Because five years from now, you're going to be talking to somebody and they're going to go through the same thing. And you're going to be able to tell them how much I love them. That's God's purpose. That's God's purpose, guys. God's saying, I I know the world is imperfect. It's full of sin. I didn't want it this way, but it is this way. And I'm not, I'm not going to make it all go away. Because do you know why? If God made all evil go away, what would he have to do? All evildoers would have to go away. <laughs> we learned that a few weeks ago, right? In 1 Peter where God says, do you know what? I, I'm not taking away all evil. Do you know why? Because you're evil too. I mean, I have to take you away. No, 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 out of my love. I'm going to withhold my judgment so that people come to me. And so God's not going to take away the evil from the world. Do you know what he is going to do instead? He's going to build up a pillar of righteousness in his church. Guys, there's so many people around you that are currently shaking their fists at at God. That have gone through so much and are shaking their fists at God, saying, how could a loving God do such a thing? And do you know what? They're going to drown in their despair unless you give them hope. I'm so, I'm so sick of trying to prove God scientifically to people. You know what I mean? Guys, I, I'm really sick of it. Guys, I, I've been through all the apologetics courses, okay? Been through it all, okay? Do you know what? At the end of the day, do you know what people want to hear? They don't want to hear the cosmological argument for the existence of God. Do you know what they want to hear? They want to hear, why did my dad leave me? 
They, 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 I'm, I'm so sick of arguing and arguing and trying to prove the existence of God somehow. Do you know what they need? They need the church to love them. There's people suffering around you. And, and, and so do you know what? God's going to allow you to suffer and he's going to hold your hand through it and he's going to comfort you through it. So when you get out the other end, you're going to be able to see the people around you suffering so that you, out of your perseverance, can give them hope. You can give them hope because you have a character. You have a firm foundation. For the Christian, it doesn't make us cynical. Trials don't make us cynical. They make us hopeful. And it says right here, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Guys, love is poured out. You guys understand that? Love is poured out. It's not trickled in. It doesn't come in little drops. It's poured out. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this, guys. My greatest moments of sorrow have left room for the greatest moments of love that God shows me. To the degree of which God empties you deeper and deeper and creates a hole that has been created by trials, he will then fill you more with himself. You guys understand that? That sometimes trials mean that God is emptying you of yourself so that he can pour more of himself into you? That love is not trickled in It's not drop by drop. It is poured out onto you. And in verse six, it says this. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. Verse eight, this is really important. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Brothers and sisters, the depth of the gospel is so evident in these verses. We, we run away from God, don't we? Don't we run away from him? Even as Christians, don't we run away from him? run away from him by running towards success, good grades, our families, our sin, our relationship, whatever it may be. We are running away from God. And the beauty of the gospel, guys, isn't that Christ died on the cross. You guys know that? The beauty of the gospel is not that that God hung on a cross here. We need to understand that, that that Christ died on the cross is not, that, that the beauty isn't in that. The beauty is that he hung on the cross for sinners. Not that, not that God would, look, I'm, I'm willing to die, right? I'm God, that's pretty humble of me, right? I'm willing to die. It's not the fact that he was willing to die. It's the fact that he was willing to die for us. Running away constantly, that he was willing to die for you and I hung on a cross to take all of our burdens, all of our shame, endure all of it. That's the beauty of the cross. And this is what I want to end with. This is what I want to end with. And I want this to comfort you as it comforts me. Okay. I want it 
I want it to comfort you as it comforts me. If he died for you, as it says for here, he died for us while we were still sinners, right? If he died for you while you were still a sinner, won't he still care for you even though you're still a sinner? That if he, if he, if he grabbed you in the darkest and dirtiest parts of your life, won't he still walk with you while you're still dirty, while you're still figuring life out? That the gospel and the cross was not just a one-time thing, that one time I gave my life to the Lord, but that every day, the more you mess up, the more opportunity for grace to catch you. This is really comforting for me, guys, because if I'm gonna be real with you, I know that Christ died for my sins, but some reason I still feel like I have to work and I have to do things so that I'll somehow be worth it to him, right? That, I, that I, I'm somehow worth his sacrifice, God, see, you didn't waste your blood on me. See, I'm doing good things. You didn't waste your life. You didn't, you didn't waste that sacrifice. And he's saying, Zach, I died for you because you're a wretch. I died for you be, because you're a sinner. Don't you think that I will still continue to pour my love into you when you're still a sinner? When you're still imperfect? If his love was heavy and unending when we were running away from him, how much more will it be when we're resting in him? Saying, God, help me. And the point lies within this, and I'll ask Dane to come back up. The point lies within this. In Romans chapter 8, verse 38, it says this. I want everyone to turn there. Romans chapter 8, verse 38. Romans chapter 8, verse 38, says this. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I need you guys to understand this. I need you all to understand something. For those of you that are, are feeling very overwhelmed, for those of you that keep trying in school and feel like you're failing, for those of you that keep trying to prove things to your parents, but you just keep screwing up, for those of you that feel like you're failing in school, for those of you guys that feel like you're failing in your jobs or in your families or in your relationships, for those of you that feel like you're separated from God because somehow you're dirty or you're not doing a good enough job, here's what I want you to understand completely and wholeheartedly tonight. That nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Do you know what nothing means in the Greek, the original Greek language? Nothing. 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 I need, I need you, I need you to wrap your minds around that. I need you to wrap your hearts around that. Nothing, neither death nor life, nor depth nor height, 
Guys, nothing. Some of you are thinking about the worst possible things that you could do to make God not love you anymore. Not even that, right? Not even that. The lengths that God would go to get you back is further than you could ever imagine. And I need you to understand that tonight. That's why I said before, and this, I, I said I was going to go short for the, for the sole purpose, that you would understand just one, one thing tonight, that you stand in grace currently with God, that you stand in grace That God, that God is surrounding you and saying, you can't, you can't leave my grace. You can't leave my life. You can try and stray wherever you want, but God is going to follow you. It says that grace and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. I want us to worship tonight with that reality. Not the reality, oh, I'm such a sinner. Oh, I'm beyond hope, right? Or I just feel so overwhelmed and life... Life, I just can't catch up to it. I, I feel overwhelmed that I can never do anything right. I can never do anything perfectly. I keep disappointing people. I need you to understand something. You may disappoint people. Yeah, that, that may happen. But do you know what? You're never, ever going to escape the approval and justification of God. And that, that's, guys, guys that's, that's really good for me this week, especially in this week where I feel like I just keep failing people. Maybe some of you are like that. You feel like you failed your spouse, right? Feel like you failed your friends. Feel like you, you, you failed your relationships or wherever, wherever it may be, you feel like, I just can't seem to get a grasp on this whole life thing. I want you to understand something that you walk and you stand in grace. I mean, wherever you are in life and, and whatever it may look like at this moment in time. God is right next to you. He's totally, totally in love with you still. I want, I want you guys to understand that tonight. So there's no application. I, I love what Mark said a few weeks ago. that it, it, if, if you hear the gospel and the fact that God loves you so much and you're like, okay, what's next? You don't get it. God loves you. He's proud of you. I got a text from one of my really good friends and it's such a simple text. And he said, did you know God is so proud of you? And I want to tell you guys that. God, God is so proud of you. God loves you. Yeah, there's, there's going to be a time for, hey, you guys need to clean up your act, right? There's, there's a time for that. There's a time where I got to say, hey, you guys are being fools. Seriously, quit, stop, right? Stop being dinguses, right? Tonight's not that night. I want you guys to be reassured that God is so madly in love with you. And you are not only, your, your slate's not only wiped clean, but his righteousness is on you. That he loves you. Amen? Yeah, let's pray. Father, we, uh, we just desire to live in that tonight. Live in your grace. We just desire to stand in it tonight as we worship you, that we would 
we would understand that there's nothing we could do to escape your love, that you follow us, that you, you trail alongside us and you walk with us in trials, God, and that you are establishing us to be a, a, a beam of hope. God, a sturdy palm tree that people can, can latch onto in storms. So Father, I just pray that you'd walk with us and that you continually remind every single person in this room just how much you adore them. I pray that we'd receive that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.